If you have your Bibles, uh, Romans 8. We're going to try to do some things quite quickly and to the point um, so we can have a little bit of time in ministry. Um, and once again, so you know, you know, our typical thing is like, hey, we'll, we'll preach 45 minutes plus. Um, I'm going to try to keep this at about 20 minutes. Uh, this past week, I you know, did my typical thing in terms of preparing for a sermon. I finished the sermon on Saturday morning, and it was like the Lord saying, this is not for now. Um, I have other things. And so he said, you're, you're, you're ahead of me. You're getting ahead of me. Uh, which oftentimes we do, and it, um, it in, some, in some ways hinders the work of the Spirit among us. So I wanted to be obedient to what the Lord uh, was doing, and so in about five, ten minutes, he gave me some other things to focus in on, things that we highlighted last week that we need to spend a little bit more time with. So I want to jump right into it. I want to read Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 4. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Larry, can you shut those doors back there, please? Yes. Uh, and please have a Bible kind of in your hand or on your phone. We're going to race through some texts that are not going to be on the screen this morning, and I want, I want your eyes to hit them uh, for, where, for what the Lord has for us. All right, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It should be very familiar by now. The Apostle Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No legal guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a reality. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How did he do this? How did he, how did he make it possible for us to have no condemnation and to live in this freedom of the Spirit? How did he do it? The law couldn't do it. How did he do it? By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. There's Christmas for you. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Amazing. Not only is there no condemnation, but the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. They are fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And just review from where we were last week, all we did was look at this particular prepositional phrase, a small phrase, in Christ. As you look in verses 1 and verses 2, in Christ refers to those who have no what? Anybody see it? No condemnation. Those who are in Christ have no condemnation, have no legal guilt hanging over them that would damn them to an eternity of hell. That's good news. Those who are in Christ have no condemnation, but also, verse 2, those who are in Christ have freedom by the Spirit. Right? This idea of being in Christ is illustrated throughout Scripture, but more specifically, Paul will say, to be in Christ is not to be a better version of you. Let that sit for a second, because in our secular worldview, it's all about a better you. Whatever therapy, whatever counsel, the answer's within you. Just look to yourself to become a better you. Christianity is not about a better you. It is about Christ in you. And so Paul will say, of this great salvation that we have in Jesus, he'll say, I, me, the self, has been crucified with Christ. <laughs> so I had to die. The self had to die with Jesus upon that cross. Self is the problem. I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless not I, but who? Christ lives in me. I got a new life now, right? 
That's the idea of being in Jesus. It's being in union with him. The old man has died with Jesus, but now there's this newness of life at work within me by the Spirit of God, right? Uh, Closer to Romans 8, which we just read, is Romans 6. And Paul will use the, the illustration of baptism, And he'll say, you have been baptized into Jesus. You've been united with him in his death, and therefore united with him in his resurrection. And then the charge is, don't walk according to your flesh that died with Jesus, but live according to the spirit, the resurrection life that is in you. Okay? That's what Paul means when he says, in Jesus. In Christ Jesus. It's this union that you now have with God by faith alone in Christ alone. This newness of life, which you're called to walk by. So what then Paul will say in these verses is that he'll, he'll just highlight two dimensions, if you will, of this life that you have in Christ. The first one being no condemnation, which is a positional reality. You once stood on the judgment block as condemned. Now you stand on the judgment block as not condemned, right? There's a difference. There's no condemnation for you. And in fact, you stand in a position of perfect righteousness before God. That's amazing. No judgment, no fear of hell as we sang earlier. Ah, that's good. That's positional. Okay? That's a positional reality that every Christian has in Christ. It's positional. That won't change at all. Christ has done that for you. You can't undo that for yourself. You can't undo what Jesus has done for you. You can't jump off that thing. You can't condemn yourself when Jesus has paid the price for you. That will be true now all through eternity. It's positional in Christ. And we could say it's legal, right? It's a legal declaration. Now, what we said last week, you know, the illustration of the acorn to the oak tree. You ever walk out in the forest, in the woods, and you're walking on the crunching under your feet, and it's like, man, you pull up one of those acorns, and you, how in the world did this thing become that thing? It's incredible. And the idea here for Paul, as he's referencing this reality of being in Christ, is that for every acorn of position, there is an oak tree of potential. Catch it? For every acorn of position, you are in Jesus. All the stuff is distilled. That big oak tree of potential has been distilled. All that DNA has been distilled into that acorn. If you stand in Jesus, you have a legal, wonderful standing in him. But that now sets in motion the reality that there is an oak tree of potential. And the question is, is, okay, what is the oak tree of potential? Well, he's saying freedom. He's referring to this life of freedom in the spirit. Freedom, that would refer to purity. It's a freedom from sin. But it's also a freedom to walk in power. Jesus, as he trains his disciples, he will teach them along the way to become an oak tree of righteousness. He will teach them along the way the new ethic of his kingdom, its holiness. So, you know, Mark chapter 10, for instance, you know, Jesus will, his disciples, again, are arguing over who's going to be the greatest in, in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus is like, as they're walking around, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa let's, let's slow this thing down. Let's huddle up. We need some instruction. If you think you're going to be great in my kingdom, well, you got the wrong kingdom because greatness isn't this idea of prominence and pride. Greatness in my kingdom is actually becoming a servant to all. So Jesus says, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. 
That's the ethic of his kingdom. Along the way, Jesus is always teaching his disciples about purity. Along the way, he is always teaching his disciples about power. This is the burden that I have for us as a church. As a church, there is an oak tree of potential. There's an oak tree for each one of your lives, but together as a church, there's an oak tree of potential. And it has to do with what we will walk in as it relates to the purity and power that Jesus gives us. So he'll teach his disciples about purity. He'll also teach them about power. He will appoint them, Mark chapter 3, he will appoint them to proclaim the gospel and to cast out demons, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter, I don't have the notes here because I, oh no I do, yes. Mark chapter 4, there's a storm that comes. They're in the boat. Jesus is asleep. What do they do? They run to Jesus. Wake up, Jesus, we need some help. We're about to die. What does Jesus say to them? He actually says, why are you so cowardly? Why are you so timid? And then he questions their faith. Have you no faith? Just let that sit for a second. One of the next scenarios, feeding of the 5,000. Disciples come to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, uh, there's like all these people here and they're hungry. They've been listening to you all day and now they're hungry. Jesus says, all right, go take care of it. Jesus tells them to feed the 5,000. And they don't get it. So should we run into town and grab some food and bring it, bring it out? And, and Jesus then turns from him and says, you know, let's go find the boy who's got the, the fish and the loaves. And afterwards, soon after that situation, the disciples are in another boat and they're struggling, and Jesus sees them struggling, and he walks out on the water to them, and they're stunned. They think he's a ghost because he's walking out on the water, but they eventually interact. And as the text says, they were confused and seeing Jesus walk on the water because their hearts were still hardened by the feeding of the 5,000. Why are you still so timid, disciple? Why are you hardened when I give you responsibility that you think you can't do? Or then Mark chapter 9. It's the demoniac, or not the demoniac, the epileptic boy who's demonized. And of course, the disciples can't cast this demon out. And so Jesus shows up. He rebukes them again. And he says, these can only come out through prayer. If you have the right lenses on when you read the Gospel of Mark, you will recognize that Jesus not only taught his disciples in the way of purity, but he taught them in the way of power. He rebuked them because, this may sound hard for us, because they didn't stand in his authority to deal with the storm. You can take that figuratively or literally. When Jesus comes to them and says, deal with this issue, you have the right, the authority, the power to do it. They think, worldly speaking, got to go into town, man. This is going to be a crazy, we got to do all this work. He's actually calling them, I'm just going to say it, he's calling them to a creative miracle. You do the miracle. And then by the time, the epileptic boy, it's like, Jesus is like, I have appointed you for these things in Mark chapter 3. I've appointed you to walk in power, but you're still not getting it. You're still just thinking in worldly, in your own limitations. You're not recognizing whose authority you're following, whose authority you're walking in, what power you actually have at your disposal. Now, when it comes to Jesus teaching his disciples, these things are never exclusive. They are always together. You can't function in power without purity or it's perversion. Paul will speak to Timothy and he will say, there will be a day that comes where there are going to be people operating power who have no purity. 
And he says it's perversion. But there are people who pursue purity and never walk in power. And that's called religion. Empty religion. Oh, we could, we, we, we could conform ourselves to all that Jesus calls us to. We could be good Christians who kind of are motivated by guilt rather than by grace. We could conform to things in our own fleshly way. It's called religion. And oftentimes the church becomes guilty of that. And that is specifically what I want to press into with just the few minutes that we have left. Literally four. I'm going to take seven. We talk then about the acorn and the oak tree. Every one of you, every one of you who says, I am in Christ, you have a position. It's not going to change, but you have potential, an oak tree of potential. I love the testimonies that are given. Those are testimonies of the oak tree being grown and it's sprawling. It's testament. God's working in them, through them, being fruitful for the sake of the kingdom. Every one of us should have these kind of testimonies. They're going to be different. I know. But if we have eyes for them, they may be subtle even. We got baked goods. We better be thankful for that. God knows our need for baked goods. I don't know. He wants to bless us with that kind of stuff. Amazing. Right? That's part of the oak tree. It took Dan calling him up just saying, hey, I kind of thought this would be good for us as a church, you know, be interested. Yeah, boom, there it is. Small thing, but it's a testimony to the oak tree of potential. Right? When it comes to your position and to your potential, there are always obstacles. Things that get in the way of you actually fulfilling what God has perhaps put grace on you to fulfill or callings upon you to fulfill. Some of you have, God wants to do, and we've been praying through by name some of this stuff. For some of you, there, there is like prophetic grace upon your life for missions work. It's not necessarily that you're going to be boots on the ground, but there is amazing things that God has in store for you. Some of you have pastoral potential. It's in your DNA in Christ. It's there. Some of you are incredible evangelists. It's your DNA. It's there. Right? God has hardwired you with amazing potential so that Paul in you know, Ephesians chapter 3, he'll just burst into this doxology now to him who can do more than we could ever ask or think. There's potential in each one of you. But there are obstacles to overcome. There is a war that is going on for your potential. Satan, he may have lost your position. He may have lost you to the other side, so to speak. But he can still work to keep you from your potential, to do some true damage for the sake of Jesus. So I want to review those particular obstacles. First and foremost, and this is to the context of, of Romans 8. It's the religious Christian, right? It, it, it is the one who, oh man, I, I can do some purity and I can kind of get by doing the Christian thing, going through the Christian routine, seemingly thinking that I got things squared away. But once again, as scripture will tell us, the flesh avails to nothing. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh avails to Nothing. John chapter 6, verse 63. Or Paul will say in Colossians chapter 2, he says all this philosophy, this worldly philosophy and, and religion, it has no power to deal with the indulgences of your flesh. Those are amazing statements when it comes to what many of us are going to to try to curb the moral conditions of our heart. Maybe this therapist, maybe this counselor, maybe this model, maybe this method. Maybe that'll change me. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says this. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. God can transform you. 
There is no method that can truly transform you. It can rearrange your idols within your own heart to be kind of like uh, lesser consequence or less hurt along the way of your life. But it can't truly reach down into the depths of who you are and change you. Religion, cold religion, becomes a hiding place for those who say, you know what, I want to keep the flesh alive, but I want to keep it alive behind the veneer of my religiosity. It creates duplicity. I act one way here, and I act another way here, never truly seeing transformation in my heart. That's why Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombs, you look great on the outside, but you're death on the inside. The religious Christian is a real problem in our day. I know a lot of Bible, I know a lot of yes and no's and this and that's, but I don't have true power at work within my own life that fuels something of true transformation and purity. Secondly is the critical Christian. I want you to turn to 1 John. The critical Christian, 1 John, uh, God's been highlighting things, and I've just been like, Lord, what are these? What are you doing? Highlighting all these texts. But as as I'm, as He changed things up this morning, He's like, this verse goes here, and this verse goes there, and this verse goes to the next one. And so, First John chapter one, verse five. Just let your ears take it in, spiritual ears. Listen, listen, listen. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that. God is what? Light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, if we truly walk in the freedom that God has given us, if we truly walk in the potential that he's given us, we will have fellowship with one another. The critical Christian sees everything that's wrong with everyone else. They failed to do this. They failed to show up here. They failed to accomplish this. They failed to come through here. They fail, they fail, they fail, they fail. You're more aware of the weaknesses in others than the light of your own God. When you're more aware of who your God is than the weaknesses of others, you can actually have fellowship with one another. Criticism tends to drive kind of a stake, if you will, into living in the light. It becomes more aware of the darkness than it is the light. And therefore, we actually bring darkness into the place where God's presence, his light, is meant to shine. So we must be careful that we are more aware of God's light than the weaknesses of our fellow brothers and sisters. Because that, that criticism can seep into our hearts and actually pull us away from the light of the blessing of God's promise, presence. That makes sense. It's the critical Christian. Secondly, I, I, gotta, I gotta move. The calculated Christian, you remember that? Calculated Christian, analysis paralysis. Everything is just kind of qualified in my brain. Should I do this? Should I not do this? And here are the pros and here are the cons. And always thinking through things uh, so detailed, oriented, process, process, process. You process things and, and you process yourself into paralysis. You don't do anything because you're thinking through it. And it's just a way in which you can kind of keep yourself from actually fulfilling uh, what God has for you, the potential that God has for you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 is another verse God's been highlighting. Jesus says to his disciples, Matthew 16, verse 25, he says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. You're going to be so analyzing life and the best steps to take at some point, that analysis has to give way to faith, and faith is always risk. So if your analysis is always trying to keep, and keep your life in order, you will actually lose your life. Holding on to your life, Jesus says, 
you will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Christian life demands sacrifice. It demands risk. If your life is always being lived according to the next promotion that will give you the next amount of money, or how can I keep my kids safe, and how can I give them the best education? Is any of that bad? Say no. No. It's not bad, right? None of that stuff is bad. But if you don't allow God to override that at some point, then you've given way to just worldly wisdom. Biblical faith, this walk, walking out your positional grace in Christ, walking that out demands at some point risk. Everything is not going to make sense, but you say, this is the way that God seemingly is. This is the way I can give my life for Christ's sake so that I might find it in him. Folks, many of you are shriveling spiritually because God has called you to things and you just say, you're quoting, no, 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 that can't be. This is where I'm going. Calculated Christian, you'll never experience your full potential in Christ. Second, or uh, fourthly, um, the compromised Christian. First Kings 18. This is where God's been at. He's just been taking me to these texts. Boom, boom, over the last so many uh, weeks and even months. First uh, Kings 18. Maybe I should just summarize it. It's the story of Elijah doing his thing with the Mount Carmel with the, the prophets of Baal. And if you notice in the text, this is not just an issue between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Rather, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20, so Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. What was happening at Mount Carmel was for the sake of the people. It was the people's hearts that were going to be exposed through this whatever it was, this, you know, this competition between Yahweh and Baal. Right? It was for the people. It was to expose their hearts. And so verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and he said this, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The compromised Christian says, Yeah, I'll, I'll do Yahweh. But man, I kind of like the things of Baal. You ride that fence. And what Elijah says, it's limping. The whole idea is this, is that you're not actually walking out your full potential in what God has called you to be. You're limping. You're not flourishing in who God's called you to be. You're limping. You're actually damaging your like, human potential. You're getting in the way of all that God has planned for you. You're limping. In fact, then, Elijah will go on, and as it's written here in the description of the bale of prophets doing their thing, they're cutting themselves, they're crying out to Baal to bring down the fire, they are described this way, and they limped around the altar that they had made. There's a lot of limping Christians a lot of limping Christians saying, I, like, I'll, I'll, I'll give this much to God, but not all of me. I'll give part of me, but not all of me. I'll still keep this and this to myself. And God is saying, you're limping. You're not what you should be. You're not flourishing in all that I've made you to be. It's the compromised Christian. Finally, then, it is the... The offended Christian. It's the one who carries many wounds. And remember what we talked about last week. The one who has been hurt by others. 
that hurt when you have been brought into union with Jesus is not your hurt alone. You can't own it. Your dad never affirmed you. Your dad never said you lo he loved you. He may have said everything other than that. How that hurts, how that is carried, should you own that, it'll crush you. Should you recognize now that in Jesus, my suffering is ultimately his suffering? You say, wait, wait, wait how, 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 how does that happen? I had a conversation with my wife about this last night. You are an image bearer, right? You are a channel, not a harbor. That's, your, that's how God has hardwired you. Your experiences reflect directly on God. Should someone do wrong to you, they do wrong to God. You short-circuit that process and you own your suffering, it'll crush you. But when you allow God to have ownership of your suffering, do you hurt? Yes, I hurt. But it's not my suffering to own it is God who has been ultimately offended. He is the one who then has the right to bring vengeance. Remember the Burma documentary? Right? It's Romans chapter 12. I won't turn there for sake of time. But it's recognizing God has the right and the right alone to bring vengeance upon the wrongs that I've suffered. If you own your suffering, if you own the wrongs that have been done against you, you will stand in unforgiveness. You will not be able to overcome your suffering with forgiveness. You will not be able to release it to God. You will, you will seethe in bitterness. You will be stuck in your potential. And as Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 4, should you be unforgiving, should you stay in your anger, anger it will give a foothold to the enemy. So now you're cooperating with the enemy rather than the God who shares in your suffering. That's a devastating place to be. What Jesus has done is he's given you an acorn of position that is intended to blossom in an oak tree of potential. But Christian, all of these categories become obstacles to your potential. What do we do with it? I think what we're supposed to do right now is renounce. We're supposed to renounce. Does that make sense? You say, maybe I've walked that religious road. I know that legalism. I know the pressures of guilt and shame that come with I renounce religiosity in my life. I renounce that shame from religiosity. I renounce that guilt from, from religiosity. I renounce religiosity. Renounce that spirit, any way in which the enemy has come and tried to get a hold of my life and keep me from the potential that God has for me. I renounce that religiosity. I renounce being a critical Christian, being far more aware of everyone else than God. I renounce it. And on the list goes, I renounce being so calculated that I never give risk to, to weigh, in weighing in my decisions. I, I, I'm so calculated, I don't even give faith an option. I renounce that. I renounce that faithless walk, that unbelief. I, I renounce being compromised. I renounce straddling the fence and be specific. I renounce the lust that is there. I renounce looking at things that I shouldn't be looking at. I, I renounce the entertainment that I'm allowing to just take on my mind and my heart. God will bring things to your mind that you need to renounce. I've been abused. I renounce that spirit of shame wants to take all those memories and slap it in my face all over again. I renounce it. 
I renounce the, the guilt that I carry, thinking that I played a role in it. The Lord will give you clarity on what to renounce. But here's what I want to do as we close. We can't just look at this and be like, yeah, what he, what he said kind of makes sense, and yeah, okay. What else do we have going on this afternoon? If I would let you do that, I would let the enemy walk through those doors and just walk out unhindered. For every obstacle that we've lived by, the enemy has been given a foothold. You've cooperated with the enemy. I've cooperated with the enemy. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do some renouncing. Once again, we're just like, Lord, if this is what you want to do, I don't exactly know how we're going to do it, but we're going to follow you. If we screw it up, we're going to follow you. If, if like, seems like a waste of time, I don't know. We're going to follow you. At this point, I just... You can go to any other church in this area, and the enemy can walk in you, in the doors with you, unhindered, and you can walk out that door, and the enemy's still got the same hold. Nothing has changed. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of it. So, here's what we're going to do. Uh, musicians, why don't you come? Dan, can you just throw that over there? We're going to do a little waiting on the Lord. Here's what I'm going to ask as we jump into this time. I don't want you sitting like this. As we stand, I don't want you like this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to point you out. Right? Here, here's what, those are postures. Those are postures that reveal something of the heart. All right? We want to hide and hold. Nope, I don't, I don't want, don't do this weird spiritual stuff. Look, just releasing. We're just, we're standing before the light of the presence of the Lord, saying, Lord, show me what I need to renounce. Maybe it's not even in those five categories, but it's time to renounce it. And as the Lord brings it to mind, I'm going to ask you to vocalize it. Doesn't have to be loud, just under your breath. In the name of Jesus, I renounce my, my religious ways. I renounce the shame and the guilt that has come through the way of religion. Whatever it is for you, just vocalize it. So, um, don't, not like this, not all bound up. Nope, you need to open yourselves up. Open up the gates of your heart. Say, Lord, like, show me. Show me what needs to be renounced. So here's what I want us to do. Let's go ahead and stand. I know some of your brains right now are like on overload. What is happening? Da, 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 da. That's, I, want to, I want to be straight with you. That is the enemy. That is the enemy. That is the calculated Christian that wants to argue away all this stuff and say, no, there, there, there's no freedom for me to be had. I just got to come in one way and go out the other door unchanged. No, God wants to change you. We got to stop thinking that God doesn't care about. He cares about your freedom. He cares about your potential. He taught the disciples and he says, disciples, I want you to teach others. And somehow we've lost the, the connection between purity and power along the way. So I just want you to, you know, picture yourself just before the Lord in a place of expectancy. And even in your mind, just, Lord, show me. Show me what I need to renounce. Show me what's stuck on me that I need to renounce. Maybe it's the bitterness. Maybe it's the unforgiveness. Maybe it's that critical spirit. Maybe there's sin at work in your life. You know it. You know it. And it you're walking that compromised road and you got you got to renounce that lust you got to renounce that junk that's getting in the way you don't have to renounce it loudly but you need to say something so i want to pray for us and let god work so right now lord we pray for your presence to work among us 
Spirit of God, we thank you for the fact that you unveil our hearts, even right now, what the enemy works to deceive. Um, he works to lie and pervert truth. And so we just ask that that darkness would be taken away, the light of your presence would shine, that there would be something of clarity to where our hearts are at, even right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just bring up to the surface the particular things that need to be renounced for Jesus' sake. And we renounce them in Jesus' name. We renounce him in his, renounce those things in his power and his authority. Show us, Lord, the error of our hearts. Show us that we might renounce it in Jesus' name. And for every enemy that may be attached to our hearts, uh, Lord, we establish your authority even right here, the light of your presence here. Lord, I pray uh, we will not be the sons of Sceva today. We will not be outdone by the enemy. We will not be outdone by his distractions and his deceit. He will not overpower us. He will not say to us, who are you? I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Lord, we stand in the spirit of David who went before Goliath and declared to Goliath, who are you who defies the Lord of heaven's army? Who are you, enemy? Who are you, demonic influence? That would dare, that would dare confuse, that would dare work against the child of the living God. You have no right to question who we are. We stand in the authority of Christ. Now you must release, you must release many. You must release them. You must release them. As the Spirit brings things to mind, just renounce it. Get it in the light of His presence and just renounce it. Renounce it. Renounce it. Renounce lust. Renounce setting your eyes on things that you should not have looked at taken in entertainment that you should not have taken in. The Lord's even bringing to mind maybe some things in the workplace that have been backwards and twisted. You know they've been wrong to do, but you've just gone along with the flow. You need to renounce that. You need to renounce it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we renounce these things. Release it to the Lord. Release it to Him. wants in on your suffering. He wants in on your unforgiveness. Just renounce it. He'll have it. He will have it. Some of you may just be tensed up on the inside. touching too close to home or something or, or maybe in your mind it's just this is weird and you're, you're unmoved in Jesus name we move that block we move that block you will not live in your potential you won't know the freedom that God has designed for you if you continue to live in that block in that obstacle so Lord we ask that you would now bring to light the darkness that might be hindering the progress of renouncing this darkness, Lord, we pray you would bring it into the light. Bring it into the light in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As we sing this song, continue to renounce. Even some of you are timid at this point, like, because no one's saying anything. It's kind of like giving praise earlier, like, oh, how do we do this? And should we actually just say it? Yes, yes, you should. 
You should say it. But maybe with a little extra energy and noise, you'll feel comfortable to renounce. As we sing this song, just don't, don't slow down. Let it out. Just let it out. Say it. Don't be surprised if it's hard to say. The enemy doesn't want you saying it. He doesn't want you saying it. He wants to keep you as unchanged as you were when you walked in the door. Let's take these things and throw them before him. religious backgrounds it's time to renounce that stuff all the stuff 
that might have stayed with you. Maybe you still kind of carry the, the shame and the guilt of having those experiences. Maybe you, you, you still have the view of God that he's still expecting your perfect holiness. And if you're not perfect by tomorrow, man, he's going to get you. It's time to renounce those false religions. False religions. If there's Wicca in your background, renounce it. If you've messed with Ouija boards and you mess with different spells and pursuing the dead, any kind of animism, renounce it. Renounce it. Renounce it. Renounce it. Forgiveness. It's time to renounce it. You don't have to get to a perfect feeling about it. It's just renouncing it. I will not be in a place of unforgiveness towards that person in Jesus' name. Just get it out there. Get it out there. That unforgiveness is keeping you from your potential. God has good things for you.
some of the uh, some of the obstacles we carry are actually not necessarily but they're not because of anything we have done but they're generational they're carried through our family line as mom or dad suffer so now I suffer as grandma and grandpa suffered and my mom and dad suffered so now I suffer whether that's depression whether that's addiction Maybe it's, uh, this may st- sound weird to some of you, maybe it's just an orphan spirit. It's like broken families just seem to be the trajectory of your past. I'm just saying, Satan loves to exploit any weakness generationally that he can to keep you, once again, from your potential. So that is something more to renounce. Just to say, Jesus, my family line is yours. We break in Jesus' authority the generational curses upon our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, they are broken. They have no stay. They have no power. Jesus, we ask you now for each one that that might be relevant to. We pray that your spirit now fills in power what you've broken, that you now establish your presence and power in their lives. Lord, from here on out, for every broken family, let there be a united family in you. For every kind of orphan spirit, may there be a clear sense of belonging and place for individuals. They know they are with you and in you. For every uh, family line of depression and addiction, Lord, let your joy now be just the counterweight to that. Where there's been depression, oh, joy, we proclaim joy, 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 joy. Do a change in that, Lord. Do a change in that. Where there's been addiction, Lord, even as the prophetic words came earlier, let there be a release, a release from that addiction and into freedom. So, Lord, we break off these generational curses, these things that hold on to us. You may need to renounce those things. Put them out there to the Lord in Jesus' name. Renounce those generational curses. I know some of your minds are still running. You're still running. You're trying to make sense of all this. Do we have to keep doing this? Can I slip out? Uh, I just want you to know that there is part of the potential that God has for us as a church family is learning how to walk in power. The Christian life, yeah, it's a long road of obedience in the same direction. It's it's little by little, oftentimes. But there is some things that need to be dealt with in power. What Jesus taught his disciples is what he commanded his disciples to teach new disciples. And we are just in the long, long train of that teaching that inheritance in Christ. We have the authority, we have the right to renounce these things and to say, Satan, you have no right over my life. I have been set free. Christian, don't take any confidence in your flesh, in your own wisdom, in your own calculations. Don't take wisdom in that. Don't depend upon that stuff, but depend upon the Spirit, as Paul said. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He has made it possible for us now to live in the freedom of the Spirit. So now, Lord, we just raise our hands to you and say, for every, for every word of renouncing, Spirit of God, come and fill us now. What we have handed over to you, now would you hand over to us a filling of your presence. Fill us, Lord. Even this week, 
Let it be that there are testimonies that come about because we're experiencing a different kind of freedom. We're walking in the things of you and we have testimonies to say because the oak tree is growing. Stuff is happening because we're walking in the freedom that you've secured for us. Now in Jesus' name, we pray blessing upon you. As God instructed Moses, as Moses instructed the priests, the Lord bless you. May he keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name. You need to sit a little more and soak. Music will kind of continue a little bit. If you need to roll, that's totally fine. But if you feel a struggle in your soul, don't you dare leave this place without getting that thing figured out. We do not want to be just this cold religious place where the enemy can have his hold on your life when you walk in and he can have the same hold as you walk out. It's like, oh my God, no, no. Let it not be. You come through the doors, Satan's jaws should be opened wide. You should be released in some way, in some way, to walk in the freedom that Jesus has died to give you. So feel free to take off. But if you want to sit and continue in his presence, feel free.